Uh, there's no. lots of porn, not a lot of like. There's no boy on boy. Yeah. Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rowan. I'm JJR Timas. And I'm Nate. <laughs> and today, we're going to be talking about Trauma Center Second Opinion, which was developed and published by Atlas and released on the Wii in 2006. So, we almost uh, never made it to, like, the third level of this game. <laughs> that's, not, that's not accurate. This game is really hard. Yes. Uh, like, you know, fuck from software, <laughs> uh, Atlas makes the hardest games, actually. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't helped by the fact that we played it together and traded off the controller. So we never so, got, like, yeah, so significant there, practice. There would be levels that, like, we would play later on that we never did the easy versions of, which made the game harder. <laughs> so, I mean, part of that's on us a little bit. But that's only with the... the tactile experience of playing. Since it's a, it's a motion-controlled game, what we're complaining about here is that we didn't get as used to the controls and all the individual levels and all the puzzles we had to solve, but we were all still sitting in a room watching each other play. So, especially when we would get stuck on levels, which happened very often, uh, we, uh, we would keep passing off the controller and watching everyone else do things and try things and learn from everyone else's mistakes. So in some sense, we still had a lot of practice, possibly more than if we were doing it on our own. Certainly more than if Chad was doing it on his own, who would have quit so fast <laughs> upon getting stuck at any specific point. Yeah, I would have written pretty hard on like the the caveat that I actually played this game back in two thousand and either six or seven. I don't know when I got it, mm -hmm. uh, and been like, yeah, that was enough. That that was good because my patience has uh, gotten shorter as my life has gone on. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, your patients' lives were also getting shorter. Yeah, my patients' <laughs> lives would have... Uh, I would have quit the medical practice on level, like, six or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, the genre that you put this game in is, like, a simulation. <laughs> but it's so... It, it's a, it's such an Atlas game. Oh, yeah. Arcade uh, surgery is, is mm -hmm. the term that I came in here with. <laughs> Arcade yeah. surgery, okay. With the uh, element of, like, anime visual novel... Yeah, on the side, because Atlas can't resist yeah. not doing that in everything that they put out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, they they treat so we talked about one Atlas game prior to this, which was Catherine, and I remember when we talked about Catherine, we were like, eh, we probably aren't going to do another Atlas game. But then, uh, like when we recorded whatever episode it was, when we decided that we were going to do Trauma Center at some point, that we were just like. We should totally do a trauma center game. Uh -huh. It was such a wacky kind of thing, and I'm actually shocked at, at how well Atlas does unique games. Like I give them so little credit in most of my <laughs> life, but every game I've played, I've been completely like taken off guard by how totally unprecedented anything that I've played by them is. Mm -hmm. I think it's because I play the unprecedented ones. Like I haven't played. Atlas games that are more rote, like right styled games, but it's it's still crazy. Like they they deserve a lot of praise for that. That's both mechanically speaking, they will constantly come out with these games that are just hard to describe at all, let alone try and match with other things that came before it, and games that are have surprising like aesthetics. This is less so for Trauma Center because 
they wanted to ground it a little bit. Like, obviously, it's still an anime visual novel, but the fact that you're playing in a hospital setting is already different enough. They didn't need to put any sort of, like, Atlas weirdness tinge yeah. over top of it. They just made it a little bit sci-fi and a little bit crazy and let the gameplay sort of speak for itself most of the time outside of the setting. Like, you don't really... The game doesn't really seem to care a whole lot where you are when you're in the middle of playing this Wii game because you're just messing with this abstracted representation of a person with all these little surgery things. Right. Like, a lot of the aesthetics that are normally some of Atlas's loudest features of their games, like pretty much everything that was always going on in the background of Catherine. If you look at like Persona 5 screenshots, I don't know if you guys have, how yeah. like crazy and stylized everything they're throwing into your eyes is. This game is comparatively tame at that and just relies on the weirdness of its premise and its gameplay to get the atlasiness across. Yeah. It, it's probably important to note early on, I guess, that this is a... a like a remaster of a, it's an enhanced version of a DS game, uh, Travis Center Under the Knife, and uh, the I've never played the DS game, and I'm presuming that neither of you played it last night while I was asleep. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, like, we can't really speak on that, but to me, this is, and I think for a lot of people, uh, as this was, as you pointed out, Andy, earlier today, it was a, real, it was a launch game for the Wii, uh, Probably a lot of people's first experience with the series mm-hmm. is this game. And it, just, it is something that's like, the control scheme alone is enough to sort of make you like stop and think about it, because it, it's one of those things that actually uses the Wii's controls to its advantage, mm-hmm. and to my detriment. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious to see what the DS version plays like. Because I watched the IGN review this morning, <laughs> uh, just... Uh, as I like to do, just as like a touchstone, but um, and they claim that it controls better on the Wii and it's like has less more refined in its controls. When I feel like this game with a touchscreen would be like a lot better. <laughs> it seems like it'd be a lot easier to yeah, to do like, what you're intending to do. The actual physical like act of like touching the screen seems like it would make it a lot easier. So. Uh, that just something I was thinking about while we were playing. Yeah, the one I remember that we brought up yesterday uh, was how much easier it would be to activate star power or what is the actual <laughs> healing? It's touch. overdrive. Overdrive. And that's the rock band one. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's healing touch. <laughs> yeah, because having the corners of your screen available would allow you. It would make it a whole lot easier to stop yourself at the right points when trying to draw any specific shape on a screen. So at least. When we're going that far, I totally agree. But looking at the old screenshots that I did from this game, I think the relative size of screen real estate you get comparing to a Wii game and a DS game, Mm -hmm. like the one point when you're touching on a screen in a DS game takes up a whole lot more of your real estate than one point of a a Wii game. There's Mm -hmm. a whole lot more you can see, and it gives them a whole lot more freedom in the the kind of levels they can design, Mm -hmm. because there can be a whole lot more chaotic shit going on, because there's just more physical space to fit all that shit into. Right. Not to mention the classic problem with mobile games, like when you're actually forced to use your hand to interact with the screen that you're playing on, parts of your hand are going to cover up the screen. Yeah. And so things can kind of go on without you noticing immediately. Right. The only... That was a classic problem with tons of old DS games that oftentimes they had to 
circumvent just through genre conventions. I remember the, the best way that I can remember that anyone really solved that problem uh, was in Elite Beat Agents, uh, which is a, a rhythm game that existed for the DS. We had to touch things uh, in rhythm with really terrible covers of pop songs. Uh, because it was a rhythm game, even though you were playing a game where seeing everything that was going on all the time would be really important and you had to time everything correctly, there was so much repetition going on in what you had to do that you could just memorize the locations. Like The, the locations of the prompts never switched, so you could always just touch things. You know in advance where you would have to go. Right. But in Trauma Center paths aren't always predetermined like there are literal critters on screen that would be floating around yeah uh, and those would be pretty easy to lose track of i guess compared to their size on a ds game those critters are actually kind of central to uh sort of what i think is is the missed opportunity of this game but i'm sure a lot of people would think the exact opposite of me Mm -hmm. uh on this because I'm sure a lot of people, like, if you're listening to this and you've played Trauma Team and Under the Knife 2 and New Blood and all the other Trauma Center games that exist, uh, part of why you're into the series is likely because of the the fact that it does tell this, like, sort of crazy narrative. <laughs> uh, but my most, and it might be because I'm terrible, but some <laughs> of my more enjoyable moments with this game are when you're performing, like, actual surgeries when you like put somebody's bone back into place or like (laughs) perform a transplant like that all feels really it feels cool to do that with the Wii remote and the motion controls but once you start adding in those critters who are flying all over the place and make the game like you have to be able to react and do things incredibly precisely unlike in surgery (laughs) Where you can take your time. You do so to be precise. I'm not. Yeah, yeah but it's reaction that's different. When, you, when you're yeah. in surgery, that your circumstances that are around you, it, we assume, aren't in like constant manic flux in the same <laughs> way as when you're fighting a creature. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the game would have benefited from more of a balance. Like, as it went on, it was just all guilt uh, surgeries. Like, if it had. They were a bit longer and had some more regular surgeries sprinkled in. I think that would be more satisfying, personally. Yeah. You might be surprised. I actually totally agree with you, talking about this game specifically. Right. Like, the best parts of this game were the early and middle sections when you were just dealing with complicated surgeries under, like, time pressure, for example. Yeah. Even the occasional one that was, like, a... Sort of like a spin on the typical situation mm-hmm. was still good. Like the bomb defusal, as much as like I get stressed out on that mission, <laughs> uh, is still a good level. Mm-hmm. And things like the operating on the plane is an interesting take. It's something I'm glad they put in. It feels weird that it's that far into the game. Yeah, but it is uh, like it's just a regular surgery with a twist, and mm-hmm. I think that that uh, plays really well. Yeah, I agree too. My favorite parts of the game were uh, Naomi's missions, because mm-hmm. they were always the ones that took advantage of the Wii's like, specific uh, capabilities, and they always had some kind of a weird addition to the formula. Like My high point with the game was the one where you had to operate with the flashlight right. like, in the dark. Oh yeah, that was probably the, the, the last like really good mission Yeah, yeah before the, the, the true final so, slog. Yeah, I wish the game had more of that. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think that 
that's a criticism of the concept of going for weirdness. In fact, going through this game, I was disappointed that they did not step it up in any like interesting or mechanically complicated ways. You you were always dealing with like tiny, fast-moving critters that had slightly different mechanical varieties. There was never something that was really crazy or impressive or imposing like they could have done since they're Atlas and they would do that anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, but they fell so flat on their face every time they had to keep trying to iterate on that concept right. that it made the earlier portions so much better by comparison. like Because of the variety a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. I, I think of what a lot of games do, because like, plenty of games have six enemy types in them, and that's all. Uh, and I feel like this game had six, but then never did the thing that other games do where they just put them together. <laughs> the only time that you're fighting two kinds of guild at the same time, you're fighting the Kiriaki and the Paraskevi, mm -hmm. and due to the nature of the Paraskevi, you just have to deal with them first and ignore the other ones. Yeah. So there's not like an interesting interplay there. And I, I assume it's because they made each of them so difficult individually that it was difficult to make a balanced level that contains two. Uh... But I feel like they could have tried a little harder. <laughs> yeah, they, they absolutely could have just toned down the amount of like cognitive load that dealing with any individual enemy has so that you could have more of that complexity on screen. Because that was some of my favorite moments with this game. Having to multitask and operating under crazy time pressures. like Because it forces yourself to be aware of everything that's going on around you. It forces you to have to be really quick and precise in the way that the mechanics of the game clearly want you to be. If the difficulty itself wasn't already like a crazy loud indication of that. Mm -hmm. But you don't need the individual things that you're doing to be as complicated as they often are in the guild missions. I, I don't remember all of the names of them. Which is the one, the guild that's the lung one? The one that fills up a whole lung of fluid and slowly drains and like refills periodically. I remembered the name of just those two because I was going yeah. to mention them. <laughs> I was incredibly impressed you remembered two of them. Because right. I don't remember any of them. Yeah, because they all have very, like... They, they have very non-English sounding names, mm -hmm. which you could uh, read as either being, like, Japanese names or even as medical terminology. Both are things that, pe that we as Westerners tend to forget immediately <laughs> after hearing. Uh, unless we have a disease or know someone with that name right uh so yeah the i remembered this too and i'll never forget periskevi because it's just the funniest word i've ever heard <laughs> it is it sounds I, I don't even know what it sounds like some kind of a parody of like an italian food dish <laughs> <laughs> it's an italian disease of some sort yeah yeah mm -hmm. but now i definitely agree like the biggest missed opportunity is that they introduce the guilt like fairly early on and then they never do anything different with them yeah. like they don't they get harder but they don't actually change mechanically yeah. like at all were you going to say something about the the lung one i was or are you oh, just yeah. wondering what the I name mean, was uh, but... back to jj <laughs> <laughs> no, no. the lung one i think is a great example of everything this game does incorrectly when it starts ramping up guilt it's one thing that does exactly the same thing in exactly the same order every time. Right. And if you're off by even a millisecond, then it <laughs> fucks you over completely. Like, there's nothing... When we're talking about, like, interplays and interactions between guilt, we're comparing it to enemy types in video games that might have simple individual behaviors, but interact in unpredictable ways when they're working together on screen. You even still have some of that unpredictability 
in other levels of this game where you're dealing with like the the long gilts that you have to cut in half. Those are the Periskevi. Right, right. Like the Periskevis, because of the way that they move around, create things that are kind of unpredictable. The ones that have two halves that form together into the spirals are another good example of this. Yeah. But with the lung gilt, there's nothing different ever happens. And the only difficulty that's in play isn't you understanding what's going to happen or multitasking effectively. It's just making sure your pointer is in exactly the point that it needs to be <laughs> every second of that boss fight. Yeah, the, the lung one is a really great example because... It's one of the two that fu that basically function as like more traditional video game boss fights than most of them do. Uh, that one and then like the one that acts as the final oh, boss. The Savato. The Savato. I do remember that yeah. one for some reason. <laughs> it sounds like it's out of uh, Resident Evil 4. It does! <laughs> oh my god! I think what my touchstone is is The Legend of Korra. It sounds like Sato. Mm. Fair. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Those two function sort of as like full boss fights, but the problem with the lung one. Uh, and potentially the problem with the like with the Savato, but we uh, only ever played that one on easy, <laughs> uh, which we'll, I'm sure get into at some point. Uh, the problem with the long one is that it, it makes a different, it makes a good game design decision, and then like a weird, like crazy decision where it's something it it's mechanical interesting mechanically interesting feature is the fact that basically while doing that boss you can't use the green goo mm -hmm. to heal because you're there's just no time to do it so you either have to healing touch to do that or just perform its actions that it wants you to perform to kill it <laughs> but the problem is that it's way too unforgiving to allow for that mechanic to, to just work. Because it takes so long, and you have to be so spot on with everything that you're going to die most of the time if you make a, a, any kind of significant mistake. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to take away one mechanical element and then also make you fail and retry if you fuck up at all. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily the best. And retrying means you have to watch the cutscenes again. <laughs> Which we, we didn't did. realize you could skip until, like, the end of the game. We also didn't realize that you had to gel the incision section until the end <laughs> of the game. <laughs> yeah, so when we were playing, we were like, man, why is it so hard to make the incisions? Like, it's so precise. We would, like, joke every time. We're like, ooh, hard part's over. Like, once you get <laughs> yeah. into it. Like, like every time we would make the cut, it would say bad. You know, it gives you, like, a rating on all the things you do. And we're like, why is this the hardest part of the game to do well? And then we were playing on our second sitting. Um, and we were looking something up, like how the triangle... Uh, Oh, the treaty. Guilts. Yeah, the yeah, treaty. We're uh, trying to cheat on the treaties because yeah. that's what you have to do. We were looking yeah. at how those worked, and like we came across something JJ did, and he was like, We forgot completely that you have to gel the incisions <laughs> before you make the cut. It doesn't just score you poorly if you don't gel it. Like it's physically harder to do the cut. It'll if you deviate pretty much at all from the line, it'll just cause you to fail and you have to restart the whole thing. Yeah. So we'd always have to cut like three times to just carefully move our arms down in the air. And which is, yeah, 
I mean, I guess secretly we're actually the best at that. Because we're like, <laughs> we basically practice, beat yeah. the game without ever <laughs> using the antibiotic gel. Yeah. So somehow we watched the tutorial, or did the tutorial where it told you to do that, and somehow all three of us completely forgot it. Yep. <laughs> Going back to uh, kicking on some of the late game boss designs for this, I think, actually fantastic premise and execution of a mechanic set for a surgery video game. The Savatos, I thought, were, like, the worst enemy in the game. Not just <laughs> in terms of any sort of, like, difficulty scale. They were just boring. They were watching you go through and having to cut those webs. There was downtime. Like, there was time when you weren't doing stuff, which almost never exists yeah. in It made this game. it really hard to understand, like, what was even going on. Right. Because, like... You were, like, doing stuff, and I'm like, why is he, like, fighting it this way? Like, you know, like, I obviously, like, Chad's not stupid, so there's got to be a reason, but, like, man, I don't understand <laughs> how this boss works. And yeah. You, you would just, like, you would cut one, and you would just sit there and right. not do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like... So the mechanic with that boss and why it's so weird is that it breaks your scalpel. It's the only thing that does this in the game, because other resources have a... Uh, have like a, a resource bar that will deplete and you'll have to wait for presumably your assistant to bring you more yeah. is like the in-universe explanation. But the only reason that that mechanic exists is to force you from over-relying on repeating single strategies over and over again. It's to force you to do the multitasking that the game right. wants you to. And, and also to like keep you from doing something like just spamming the, the heal juice forever. Yeah. Because that isn't fun and if you're doing that you're going to lose anyway. Right. So... Uh, it's basically you just run the timer out. Just right. Do that. But with Savato, when you break your scalpel, right, there's nothing else for you to do. Yeah, he will occasionally release bugs, which you do a quick pass over with the laser, and then you wait for the scalpel to come back. Like that was it. It was the only management that happened is if you were destroying the bugs and your scalpel came up and you like didn't notice it for a really long time, <laughs> he might do a second web, which is just gonna set you back a few more seconds. Right. Uh, it, it does seem like a weird thing. Everything that happened after the web part, I think is fine, is on par, at least, with most of their other stuff, because it was more of a right. uh, reaction time and, and accuracy challenge than anything else. But Andy did hit, at the end there, on a problem with the end of Savato bosses, and a problem that kept coming up, not constantly, but sort of consistently when going through this game, was lack of proper mechanic signaling. Like, the end of the Savato boss and post-Googling uh, when we were trying to figure out what's the actual way you're supposed to deal with the triangles, Ugh. we learned, I, I figured out <laughs> that uh, the final section of the Savatos, which actually happened to Chad, the problem that people constantly run into with that is that if you use oh. your healing touch before you get to the end of the boss... You cannot beat it. Yeah, you just have to retry. But it's not a fail state. Like, you just... The game just continues, but it's impossible for you to beat the boss. <laughs> and Derek is just sitting in the corner going, I have to concentrate. Right. Over and over <laughs> and over again, driving you insane. It's supposed to be your, like, in-narrative hint that you got to concentrate further than where you are. Right. But even if you could just activate Healing Touch again and they didn't limit you, which... I feel the easy solution to this, right? They yeah. could just let you try and do it again. Yep. Even if you'd used it once before in the fight? Yeah, it's just, it localize it to that level, allow you to use it during that moment, and that's it. Right. But they, they, it was just straight up an oversight. Like, that's a classic, like, 
player lock circumstance that a lot of modern, especially like AAA design, the kind of stuff that we'd expect from a company as large and with enough of a history as Atlas does, right. that, that, that just should never really exist. I think I can see where the problem is when it comes to actually like implementing this. Uh, I mean, obviously you're right that it needs to be signaled in some way that you shouldn't use the healing touch during the fight. You have to wait until the end. Um, but they don't want to just let you use it again because then when you fight it as part of the final boss, you will think that you can do the same thing. And they want it to be a challenge that you have to complete the entire run-up to that without using it. Right. That's part of the, the boss's actual like difficulty. Right. So they would either have to not let you do it in either, which is what they chose to do, but they have to put a line in somewhere. Yeah. There's somebody's like, uh... Don't do it. I don't know what they would say. I didn't write the game. Save I barely understand the game. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you can just hint that like the Savato has its own ultimate thing that you've got to be ready to counter. There's right. tons of solutions that we could have presented to this. It's yeah. not even remotely a hard problem, but the game still lets itself run face first into, and it's only one of many signaling problems that the game runs into with its mechanics. Yeah, the worst of which being represented. Be, the worst of which being represented by the noise that Andy made earlier when talking about the triangles. Mm. Who we've gone through what? Three levels? There's three triangle levels in, in second opinion? I think so. There's the first one in Africa, the second one as part of the uh four patient thing. Oh yeah. At the end of the game. And then actually is there even a third one? Yeah, there is one in the middle of the between those two. Oh, right, because the way that it landed, you did the first one, I did the second one, and then we sat on the third one, and I almost passed out and died. Yes. So, mm -hmm. uh, unrelated to <laughs> the difficulty of doing these. Like, we looked up guides, and none of us can tell you what the, like, mechanical trick yeah. to going through the triangle So, the way it works is there are these triangle pieces... And they're arranged like on a grid yeah. with these little spikes at the corners. Like there's like these little icicle looking things. And what you are supposed to do is remove them in such a way that they don't multiply. Right. Uh, like removing them, like the triangles will make them multiply. And you're supposed to figure out like what causes that and like what pieces are safe to remove and which ones aren't. We couldn't figure it out. And you cannot look up a guide right. that can explain it to you. <laughs> like, there's no just like, how does the this work? I would be surprised. Like, no one, no, there's no clear answer. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a, a strategy guide for this game that was released by like Prima Games or something. Mm -hmm. Like that just has all the pages with those missions in it, like conspicuously ripped out. <laughs> like, there's no explanation that we can find, and even the explanations that did exist, and even the fucking like step by step instructions. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah, we found some guides that just had step-by-step -step instructions. And by step-by-step, -step, we mean, like, pull out this tab, pull out this tab, then lift this triangle. Like, literally discrete actions that you were supposed to perform one yeah. at a time. Which, Which we, like, digitally memorized <laughs> sections yeah, because of it, to perform. There is, like, a, there's a time element to it. Like, if you don't do it fast enough, they just come back. Yeah, the thorns will respawn. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we were trying to memorize it. And, like, the guide that we found, which is wrong, is we get to a certain spot and they would just 
everything would come back. Yeah, it, like we'd be like, all right, we got in, then we'd take out the triangle, and then like six more like, would show up. And we're like, oh, mm. like maybe there's a YouTube video or something out there where well, someone explains I think the it in terms with the, with that the makes step sense. by step guide is that there's a random element as to which thorns come back. And so if the wrong thorns respawn, then you just lose. So there's a possibility that what we're supposed to do is remove everything up until the first triangle and then wait for every thorn to come back. It's possible. But it's way easier and faster to just activate Healing Touch and pull right. the whole board off. Yeah. Yep. That's what we ended up having to do is get like oh so far and then use Healing Touch to just take everything out. Yeah, to flip the table. Like, yeah. you just, like, you're like, we're done with this, just gonna... Which, yeah, which was very difficult to do as well. Yeah. Which, I'm amazed that, like, like, from an in-universe perspective, that anyone would fucking put up with that shit and not just be like, we'll just vacuum up this organ <laughs> <laughs> and put him in a bag. Like, because this, no, this is not going to work. Let's get this man on dialysis instead. Yeah, <laughs> just remove the kidney. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, it was so, oh, it was so, so hard. Yeah, so if anyone listening to this ever knows how that works. Uh, and can explain it, like, in a way that makes sense, because, like, we've seen... Like there's a there was like a game facts post yeah that tried to explain it but like didn't do a super good job yeah and a lot of people were like uh, try to like back it into a corner so that it can't spread right. <laughs> which is also hard to do like there's no like good solutions to this. yeah because you can't back it in a corner if you don't know what causes it to go in another direction right right, right. you don't yes. have control over the direction that it moves one way or the other it's just I feel like when they were designing these levels. They tried to have the best of both worlds between a puzzle section and the same kind of, like, dexterity-based challenge that exists in almost all of the levels of this game, and it completely fucks over both aspects and makes it <laughs> miserable. Because the amount of time that they give you on the triangle missions is such that it's clear that they expect you to do a little bit of trial and error, right. presumably to figure out what the system is, which we know is not possible. <laughs> with three people sitting in a room yeah. for like three hours individually. Yeah. For mere mortals. Yeah. You know, you cannot figure it out. But because they included the fact that the spikes come back, because they included the, the like time sensitivity to your actions... You can't just sit there like a puzzle and reason out what's happening. Right. You ha you're, there's literally a timer counting down until you lose, and any time you perform any discrete action that doesn't completely remove one of the squares or one of the triangles, you know that like, like you have to panic every time. Essentially, you can't track <laughs> what's going on to make reasoned decisions. You yeah. know who solved this problem? Atlas themselves with the Rapunzel game in Catherine. There just needs to be a non-timed try-it-out version of this guilt. Absolutely. To figure mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's probably not an in-universe arcade game based on... But that dude talks about how uh, the mustachioed gentleman from Caduceus Europe mm -hmm. talks about how they designed the membrane that is being used in the treaty guilt to fight cancer. So there's clearly like a lab somewhere yeah. that did research on this. So there totally is an in-universe version or like explanation to have the treaty Rapunzel. Right. You need you need an in order to make this thing work as a puzzle game, you need way less, possibly no time, time limit. limit at all. 
And you probably need an undo button because because <laughs> yeah. the, the punishment for losing or doing something incorrectly on the treaty is completely changing the shape of the board. You start from zero every time you have to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it, it's like every time that you put a, like a jigsaw puzzle piece down in the wrong place, somebody threw your puzzle on the ground and put a new one in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, for reference, like, to somebody who doesn't know what's happening, it seems like literally everything you do is wrong. Right? Like, everything you move, it's like it makes more triangles show up. And, like, maybe, like, one in every ten, like, doesn't. <laughs> right. And you have, like, no idea why that time was different. Because yeah. they give you the time as if you're going to trial and error this, but you can't trial and error something if you don't have, like, one set starting position. Like, you can't hold anything constant because you're punished by changing the board. It was just... I remember you, while we were in the midst of complaining about this last night, Andy, said that, like, how did this get past any testing? Yeah, yeah. How did this, like... Did, did anyone ever sat down to play one of these and been able to figure it out? It seems impossible. I think uh, in order to <laughs> not make whoever is listening to this who, like, just gets it yeah. <laughs> pull all of their hair out listening to us complain, uh, we should probably move on. <laughs> so, the uh, actually, the controls themselves are a big thing that I kind of wanted to, to discuss. Because okay. obviously, uh, it, okay, full disclosure, JJ was basically our hard carry on this game. <laughs> Uh, if there was something that neither me nor Andy could do, we just eventually passed it over to, to JJ to finish up. Uh, by the time we get to the... Did we start in the fifth chapter or was it the sixth chapter and we actually knocked it down to easy? I think it was in like the fifth, like in the middle of the fifth chapter. That's correct. So we yeah. played most of the game on, on normal. normal. The fact that there is a hard mode in this game baffles me. Like there, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it doesn't, considering I've played Catherine and know how that game goes. But uh, the the fact that there's like an even that there's a group of people who looked at Trauma Center and was like, I bet I could do this uh, even better than what I'm being currently allowed to on normal, yeah. and ramped that shit up even further. Uh, just like a, as any hard carry would say, I actually love the shit out of the base mechanics of this game and would totally love to have the free time to be able to just like keep going through it and crank it up to hard. Uh, but I would probably just not do any of the missions past the fourth chapter. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, but, but the point of the controls, basically, was d the fact that I have always sort of you don't gravitate. Yeah, I gravitated away. <laughs> it's not like I was always repelled from motion controls in games and pointer controls as well. Almost especially pointer controls get like I would get really irritated by. Uh, this is probably some of the best that I've played. I've never played Resident Evil Four with the pointer controls, and same with Metroid Prime. Mm -hmm. um, but would have heard do do them well, but. This felt generally pretty okay, but it does get to be a huge pain in the ass for me when I'm unable to keep the pointer on the screen during a timed mission or whatever, and you, like, jerk it way over here for no reason. Uh, all, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jerk it, maybe not the best phrase. <laughs> yeah. My problem, I, I thought that the pointer controls felt pretty good. Uh, 
one thing one problem i've always had with the wii was like anytime it wants you to like move the controller forward or backward i think yeah. it's really bad at picking that up yep. using the defibrillator was awful right and you're um, the only one who ever did yeah and like <laughs> and the bomb defusal mission we had to pull out the little uh, pins and put them in different places was stupidly like annoying yeah. but fortunately um, the only part of that that required like right yeah but yeah for the most part i thought the pointer controls were well i actually think the wii remote that's probably its best functionality is the point controls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but my biggest issue with the controls was the actually the analog stick. See, and this is what I was going to bring up because I think that the analog stick is, like, my favorite part of it. So uh, I like that we have a differing opinion on this. Because the way it works is you use the analog stick to st- cycle between your tools. And it's got, like, the little notches, you know, like... Uh, analog sticks do like the gamecube c stick did it's not as uh, severe as that but it has that on the wii nunchuck and you move it you know like diagonally up and down left right uh to pick your different tools and constantly i thought like i would be like moving to like the bottom right diagonal and it would actually move to just the one on the right like the stitches instead of the drain right and like that felt really imprecise to me. And, like, there were times, like, on those gilts that, like, swim under the surface, you had to use the ultrasound yeah. and then cut. Like, you have to, like, follow them with the ultrasound, quickly switch to the scalpel and cut right where they are while you can see them for that split second. And it's times like that where you need to, like, precisely switch between two that I think those controls are too sloppy. Yeah. Four. My experience with it, and I think that we may just have, what well, like, either one of us is right, both of us are right, or neither of us is right on this situation, mm-hmm. but the way that I envisioned it was because whenever I play the Wii, my nunchuck hand is always sideways or at an angle. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I just figured that I was thinking that I was pressing it in the correct direction, mm-hmm. And just wasn't, and was like pressing it to one side. Now, but it might also just be sloppy. There were definitely times where, like, I was repeatedly clicking it <laughs> down to the right, and it kept going to the stitches and not the drain. Right. I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm. Again, he the, was the huge, best at it. I, yeah, I, I did. I did take yeah. note that JJ was the best at that. I had to keep. You don't really treat it like an analog stick, which I thought it was actually a, a cool idea. You can tell it's something where they had to sit down and look at the controllers for the, the, the Nintendo Wii and think, like, what are the features of these that would allow us to do unique things in a okay. surgery setting? I just had a thought. Uh, did you have to let it, like, return to the center before you picked another direction? No. Okay. I thought maybe that would make it work better because I was, like, cycling around the outside. I almost always started mine, uh, like, picking by going up and then rotating. To, mm. Like, it's a rotary phone <laughs> because uh, as the oldest person here, I am 90 years old. Right. right. But you were uh, saying. Rotary phone's a, a good example because the fact that they made the outside of the analog stick on the nunchuck... Like a what is that a fucking octagon? What is it? I've, I don't I think know it had more points than that. No, it's whatever. Because it has points instead of being a <laughs> sphere, it allows you to treat the analog stick not like a normal stick where there's a central resting position that with like force that you have to fight against to move yourself in directions. Like you almost never use the middle of the analog stick if you're doing things fast in this game. It's always you're holding it down completely in one direction. It's like moving a switch. Or in your case, a rotary phone is a really good example if you're having to like 
spin it essentially to remember where it is to all the select, time. yeah. Because it takes a long time for you to know the positions of the analog stick so well that you can just immediately fly to the one that you need. So rotary phone's a good idea. It also has the tactile feedback of when you're moving it around the circle, you can feel it click into each of the points. You can also hear it, which is always a big thing for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, so I, I actually really liked the using the analog stick yeah. in that way to switch. I liked it in concept, right. but like I felt like it was the diagonal specifically. I felt like it often didn't land on the one I wanted it to. I should also note that I always imagined it like when thinking about how it works in universe, like uh, Noctis's weapons in Final Fantasy XV, where he's just like generating a scalpel out of out like of a air. light construct. It's <laughs> <laughs> a like, green lantern of surgery. It does kind of feel like that when you're playing. Like mm-hmm. they just materialize in your hand. Yeah, you're just like, ah, scalpel. <laughs> it really says a lot about how good of an assistant all of your how various Angie assistants is. must be. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she's the real Green Lantern in this circumstance. She conjures the... Uh, yeah, and yeah, when she runs real. out of will energy, you have to wait for the scalpel to regen. Is there a, is there a pink Green Lantern ring? Yeah, there's star vi- sapphires? Yeah, they're violet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, done. Solved. Figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> and they are the, uh, their uh, emotional spectrum is, is love. love. So, yeah. yeah, it makes perfect sense for Angie. <laughs> No, no, no. It, it, I feel like it should be jealousy, though. She, but that's a whole different topic. Right, yeah. Because there's only one of those, and mm-hmm. I'm going to cut the, uh, any discussion of LARP is out of any podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> Going back for, I don't even know how long now, uh, there was, when we're looking at the controls that they chose to make central to this game, like the pointer using the thumbstick on the nunchuck and only like the barest of motion controlled movement, the game breaks pretty much every time it tries to do something that were the things that the Wii tried to truly market itself on. Because like the Wii wasn't marketing itself as like a pointer of remote. Right, yeah. Because then it would only have point and click adventure games on it. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time that you had like you said any to move the, the remote in 3D space yeah. it was bad. That's bad in like any game. Though. Right. Yeah. And I like to I like to point out with the notable exception of the terrible defibrillation scenes, you pretty much never have to use the motion controls in the nunchuck. Ever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a, a terrible alternate universe form of this game where you had to reach for your different medical Ooh. devices. Yeah. Think about that. I bet that almost seems like something they would have considered. Like, like you have to, like, you have to like, move it to the left mm-hmm. to then pick and then bring it back. Right. Yeah. But then they realized that it was an arcade game and right. it's just way more fun and they could ramp up the difficulty in more interesting ways if you can just switch instantaneously between your tools. Yeah, I, I still think that there's... I don't think that that's the worst case scenario version of this game. I just think that they exist at two points on the same spectrum, where like the hardest levels of the game, where you are, where it's trying to actually simulate performing a surgery, mm-hmm. where you have to go for your tools and use like both hands and the motion controls in both during the surgery, are the easiest levels in Trauma Center, which goes just materialize a scalpel out of nowhere and cut a, like a worm monster out of this man's pancreas. Like <laughs> <laughs> the really hard levels can't exist in the in the other game, and the really easy levels would be like boring snooze-inducing and trauma center. Mm-hmm. So, uh, are we, just to put a capper on this, are we in general agreement that the broad mechanical structure of this game, like let's say like the first two or three of the, the big chunks of this game were like mechanically solid? I think they were really good. Yeah. 
This is a game where I'm like, this is one of those things where I'm like, I like video games because they're able to do things like this. Whereas, like, we've had, like, what, like 1,000 hospital drama TV shows. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a, that is, like, a, a common style of show. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen a game do this with that concept. And the fact that it, that the medium allows for this is something that I think is a, like just amazing. Because like this obviously doesn't work in, in a purely narrative oh, no. version. Like Not, it would be oh. super weird. <laughs> like if this was an anime, like that used all of the dialogue and then also had like action scenes yeah. where it showed like Derek Styles leaning just over operating. somebody and then like hands Honestly, start moving real fast. <laughs> I can see that existing. Like I can see it existing, but it wouldn't be good. <laughs> Could be. Probably wouldn't. Yeah, honestly, when you brought this up, I was taking it more as a criticism on how they executed the narrative of this game than it was if I thought the overall concept. Because I think a lot of modern, like, like not modern, but really recent anime that's come out, uh, which I've been sort of disconnected from since I haven't really paid attention to the genre as a whole since I was, like, 16, probably. Yeah, you keep telling yourself that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but they have sort of proven that you can use a lot of the tropes in animes in almost any setting and still be good. There's one whose name I forget, because again, I'm not aware of these things, where the setting is like a normal school, but not in like where there's crazy shit also happening around it, as is the stereotype of the settings. Like they just use like the crazy visual effects and like people teleporting around and fight scenes to represent average everyday actions, like trying to catch a bottle that you dropped. Like, right. so it's kind of like a Scott Pilgrim thing. Very similar to that, yeah. Or, uh, even, even less toned down since Scott Pilgrim sort of acknowledges the abilities of these characters to do fantastical, amazing things like that. Mm-hmm. In this game, they just treat it like oh no i i dropped some salad and i've got to catch it like right yeah uh but i forget i wish i could remember the name of the show it's very very popular so anyone who hears this description probably knows exactly what i'm talking about but it, it proves that you can have crazy settings that you can layer anime tropes on top of and still work so i agree with andy in thinking that there is a version of this where you could have like the live action drama hospital action setting that I think could work, especially with the sci-fi elements. Right. But it couldn't be an adaptation of this game because the story is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the narrative of this game is actually uh, something that we should definitely get into, and I think that we should start uh, after we take a break or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I do want to get into before we go into the break is uh, the music in this game. And how there's that one song that just always interrupts after there's no music going on and just plays immediately. It's really annoying. Looking back from the break, uh, <laughs> to actually talk about the music, because I, I kind of did... Because it is just super silly a lot of the time. And there's not a lot of variety either. No. It's no. like the same like five songs. Yeah, they have the one that we just played to interrupt, that interrupts quiet moments all the time and is like way out of where the tone is supposed to be. <laughs> there's the one that sounds like uh, Never Gonna Give You Up. Yep. Uh, there's the sad song. Mm-hmm. There's the surgery song. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm actually having difficulty remembering any of it. There's probably like a menu song or something. Right. Well, when you pause the game, like the regular menu doesn't have music. But the mu- I'm sure there's... I think there's like a, a hospital drama type song that plays on the main mm-hmm. menu. It's like they had the songs they used for the DS version... And then just didn't make any new music for this version. <laughs> They're not obviously as compressed, and I don't think the songs are actually bad. They're just, there's not enough of them, and they're often misused in terms mm-hmm. of the tone. But you forgot about the like one or two off classic like Latin chanting that needs to exist. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's whenever they start talking about some like the deepest lore. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. deep lore chanting. There's when you're fighting against the uh, the shitty final boss. Yeah, they, they have their own like. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely out. Of, it's a classic Atlas thing, but it's out of tone because they didn't go far enough. Yeah, but yeah, that's not just a classic. That's like a classic. Just video games generally. I know, like the big boss where they want you to yeah. feel like you're up against something that's like nearly godlike in power. But does that stem from the Sephiroth? theme you think i i feel like it almost had to have existed before that but that was like the first song that ever actually used vocals in True. a video game it might stem from uh like final fantasy 6 and a lot of the way that they used mm-hmm. sound the the further back you go in the library the, the less the final fantasy soundtracks really start to fit those classic stereotypes mm-hmm. three kind of works yeah, I forgot how great the Crystal Palace theme was until, like, I bought the uh, Memories of Final Fantasy III CD in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy XV. Like, I cruise around in the car to that all the time. Yeah. See, so. you, you're talking now about a game that used music well. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes <I laughs> that meant the like that, that fit the mythical themes that the game mm-hmm. was going for. They didn't just right. throw Latin chanting into like a surgery sequence where you're dealing with an object that's <laughs> maybe around as big as like a, a medium sized spider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but no, I think that you hit the nail on the head there, where it was like they didn't have a ton of of, of tracks to use. For some reason, mm-hmm. presumably because it was a launch game, I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm, I assume that this game did not have like unlimited development time right. because they had to hit that window. Um, but they just sort of like did the best with what they had, and sometimes that just didn't make enough sense. Right, where silence may have been preferable. Oh, yeah. The intro music, we only listened to it a couple of times because we didn't boot that game up this many times because we yeah. played it pretty much straight through on a couple of sessions we all got together to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so out of character with even all the other songs in the game. Like when you first boot it and the siren just blares <laughs> off and it's going like... Yeah. Dun, 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 they never dun, use dun, like an ambulance siren or anything in they the did. game, do they? At one point... Uh, I oh, remember making a joke on. about it yeah. because this is, and this is, this is how we get into the narrative. I think from this discussion is saying because the the narrative is told in that visual novel style where they're cutouts of the people put on backgrounds, mm-hmm. and the backgrounds are static, and the cutouts are static, and they just swap out like if they're changing emotions they just have like a happy guy and a sad guy yeah and there's not really a whole lot of nuance to it and you're supposed to read it from the text and there isn't voice acting barring a few important lines yeah it's a little it's little voice clips (laughs) but there was that one scene where it's like a road and uh dr death uh is standing there and 
the siren plays, and then he starts talking, but like obviously nothing occurred in the, on the screen. Yeah, there's just a siren, so you're supposed to assume that an ambulance went by. But to me, it just looked like he had a siren <laughs> <laughs> and like ran into into the scene. It was just like wee woo, <laughs> Derek, I'm here. <laughs> As someone who actually sort of grew up having most of their favorite narratives told to them in the sort of like talking head style, uh, this is a problem that is kind of perpetual to this method of storytelling. Like, the advantage is that you get to have these really detailed character models that have, that are capable of showing nuanced emotions but only a limited number of emotions that you could show. <laughs> right. But anytime that you're what you're doing isn't like a conversation or an interaction between characters that's easy for you to visualize, uh, it totally breaks down right? they're actually doing objects because it becomes so much harder to communicate what's happening on screen right. when you just have one background, two static models that can't move. There are I've seen a couple of games that try and fix this problem while keeping that same static character head idea, but it ends up kind of being worse. Because obviously (laughs) what you do when you're reading an actual novel is that some things have quotation marks, and they're the things that the characters say, uh, and the rest of the text sets the scene, describes what happens, and is being kind of evocative. But because this sort of stereotype of narrative presentation almost everything that you read is assumed to be words coming out of a character's mouth right and because most of the scene is set by what you're looking at but not all of it throwing in the random descriptors are totally jarring and throw you out of sequences (laughs) yeah Uh, most triple a like games and writers that use the stereotype already know this trauma center doesn't do this and this is just a thing that i've seen people throw around online all the time as like oh why don't they just describe what happens so it's less weird when like two people have to kind of pretend to sword fight by just having clang noises and you have to try and make the assumptions yeah uh but yeah what ends up happening in practice is you get really into the scene you imagine all these characters talking and then the game just suddenly tells you like jan walks in from the left or something (laughs) yeah because then all of a sudden you have to establish a narrator or at the very least you know like a director of some kind like Mm -hmm. stage like stage direction is being uh performed somehow and that is that takes you out of it no matter really what you're going for yeah i gotta say it does the the way that the visual novel uh style works in this game is that it lends itself to this kind of melodrama like because at no point can somebody like if somebody is a little bit upset versus full-blown screaming they don't have two models for that they have that upset like angie is a great example because her like even a little bit off-put model is her like face forward both arms at the side mouth open and yelling Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it doesn't really translate to her 
being like, oh, no, Dr. Styles, you really shouldn't have done that. So her personality, therefore, lends to being like, you're the worst fucking doctor I ever saw. <laughs> and <it's laughs> I think that's intentional, though. I think they, I they, think it is. they yeah, pushed it into is. that. Her, for sure. Yeah, they understood that you, you can't have a gradient of nuance when working with characters like this. This is also the reason, uh, but for example, I remember when you played through Fire Emblem 7, you got the impression that these characters were a lot of these like straight-up stereotypes because when you're working with only a certain number of different emotions you can express in each character model they it becomes a lot easier to have people to go from zero to 100 real quick of any particular emotion <laughs> right. and it works in the dramatic setting of like a hospital drama right yeah that's, yeah that's what i'm saying i think that the melodrama that exists in uh trauma center works really well with this where the comparison in the in the ff7 fe7 not final fire <laughs> emblem seven uh realm the characters are a lot more nuanced and are at least written to be that way and it doesn't service that as well but that is also kind of the game boy advance graphics lend to that also being a problem and this game gets away with it for myriad of reasons but none of which are because the narrative is super deep and the characters are nuanced right the characters are really cut and dry really like really cut and dry that's Mm -hmm. I kept waiting for things to move forward in a way that I cared about or was bought into. Things, it's a, it's vertical development. The, the, it's like a city. You can't build characters out. You have to just move the circumstances sky high <laughs> into worldwide medical terrorism. <laughs> like, you said it last night, I remember, that... It seemed like the only development that ever happened for any character happened to the protagonist and it happened like immediately after he got his healing touch ability. Yep. It's the game starts out with Derek, who's the main character, uh, Dr. Styles. <clears throat> He's like the lazy, incompetent doctor who has apparently been a doctor for three years <laughs> and is terrible and wasn't fired somehow. But um so he starts off that way, and then you do, like, a couple of missions until you get your healing touch ability, and then he just becomes the best doctor ever. <laughs> like, just, like, out of nowhere. He's no longer lazy. He's now just an amazing doctor. I guess there's also a little bit of development with Angie as she, like, comes to trust you, mm-hmm. which is another thing that just happens really, really early. Pretty much all people who bounce off of that really fast, immediate development from Dr. Styles have slight changes. But after that, especially all the new characters that they introduced after you hit Caduceus, they are all just the same people constantly. Like, Mm -hmm. none of the crazy circumstances changes anything about them or how they react to people. Yeah, it's like you hit, like, the halfway mark of the game and you're expecting things to start changing or developing in some way, and they just don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, they introduced the short-haired, uh, whatever her name was, the Iron The Iron Vixen. Vixen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They introduced her, and I thought, like, her character would do something. <laughs> and it doesn't. Yeah. You know, it she's just there. Sybil? Sybil something. I forget what her last name was. But yeah. She's a... Because she's a really good example, actually, of, mm-hmm. of how this game does character development, is that the characters themselves start at basically the end of their arc. Nothing really changes the parts of them that make them who they are mm-hmm. throughout the game, except for st- styles. And everyone else starts developed 
and then everything is told through revelations. So you're like, oh, like she was uh, a cop. And then when you have to defuse a bomb, she tells you that her boyfriend was on the bomb squad mm-hmm. and that they had interesting lunchtime conversation. And that's a direct quote. Uh, <laughs> and, like, that kind of thing is not, like, she didn't... Since you met her, mm. she has known how to defuse a bomb. Right. Yeah. And not just a bomb, but a complicated neutron star bomb. <laughs> 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 and uh, but then just never came up, and right. so when it does, she gets this like extra little character feature tacked on. Yeah. Right. Not that it comes up like diffusing bombs doesn't become like a regular thing in the game. Yeah. But it does inform a little bit about yep. her character. It just it really clashes with like the whole sci-fi setup. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like they wanted to have this very Atlas type like weird sci-fi narrative attached to this game. But they don't build towards it in any way. <laughs> it's it just ju- an abrupt. It just like... kind of shows up, <laughs> and then there's like a villain. There's like a weird zombie guy that the virus comes from. Dude, I'll get to I'll get to weird zombie guy later. I have a, I have plenty of zombie man. Yeah, discussion. and just like I was waiting for it to like ramp up or become weird in like a Catherine kind of way, and it really didn't. At all. Yeah, they so like, skipped the ramp. Yeah, yeah they skipped yeah. the ramp and jumped right to the weird part. And, uh, but yeah, I kind of wish this game either went to either extreme, was just like a hospital drama, or was a weird sci fi medical thing. I feel like something that you said on the Hyperlight Drifter episode weirdly compares here, where Hyperlight Drifter was styled after games of the era where it could have just come with a comic book. I feel yeah. like. Uh, Trauma Center should have come with a comic book that just like expanded upon what was going on mm-hmm. in the background. Because it's a nice it, manga to go with your uh, mm-hmm. with your video game that might exist. <laughs> yeah, for all we know, <laughs> there could be a story that just explains this. Because man, it needs explaining. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you were mentioning earlier, Chad, at, about the way that all of the development for characters is revelatory. It's all retrospective, right? And in this game, that totally falls into the trap that that often does where all of the interesting development points happen off screen. Mm. I never feel like I'm going through narratively speaking any of the actually interesting portions of these characters' stories. I'm going through mechanically and gameplay oriented interesting moments like X has to save a man, X has to defuse a bomb. Right. Like, doesn't really change what any of the doctors do, but it's interesting to, for you to do as part of the game. But there's no actual connection between those things. It's all retrospective. Right. And that's not even to say that retrospective development can't be done well. Uh, it often is in revelatory nature, but they use it to recontextualize things that you know about the other characters. Like, you learn facts that changes the way that you look at them, but that's not what happens in Trauma Center. <laughs> like, using the same example of the, like, hardcore ex-policewoman, like, they use the fact that she knows how to defuse a bomb as just a thing that they think is expected from someone who used to be in the police force. <laughs> like, it's... It doesn't... You still just... It doesn't change the way that she interacts. It doesn't change the way that you look at her. It's just another thing that her police background... And there's also, like, the whole revelation that Angie's father is whatever... Is the main villain. Well, or whatever. Like, that doesn't change anything either. Like, when she finds out, like, you operate on him. Right. And that's It, it. The only thing that that's supposed to do is show you that Angie is, like, committed to the cause. Right. Angie is this game's, like... 
all-consuming good character mm. who has always cared about everyone and will always care about everyone and puts it above herself in every facet. Right. But they have too many characters who do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, pretty much everyone who is involved in the story who isn't Derek... <laughs> who isn't Derek. Yeah, or, yeah, or, or Naomi, I guess, who is in it almost entirely for herself. Yeah. Is, like, in it for the greater good. A Dr. Death, I guess. <laughs> even, like, even though his whole thing was, like, a humanitarian effort, like, he wanted people to not suffer. So even he is kind of, like, portrayed, while his yeah. position is portrayed as being, like, bad, mm-hmm. he still had the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Just like everyone else yeah. in this fairy tale land of yeah. godly surgeons. Yeah, everyone is, like, one-dimensionally good or one-dimensionally evil. Yeah. yeah. Naomi's the only one who has, like... A gray area. Yeah. And her personality section on the oh, wiki was yeah. black. <laughs> we, we, we were looking at the wiki before you got here, and <laughs> her page has this detailed description Description of all of her outfits, <laughs> and, and then and then it has a section right underneath of that that says personality, and it's blank, <laughs> like not even a brief blurb, literally nothing. <laughs> oh my god! God, that's that's emblematic of a whole other thing. I don't even know which direction I want to go now. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go into the why did they include Naomi at all territory or whether I want to jump into your discussion about about, zombie man? about not just Zombie Man but the final boss and his relation uh, to Angie and, and that whole last bit. Well, I think we should. De- I think those are there's not much more to go on other than those things. So let's hit them in an order that makes sense and talk about Naomi, Naomi and first. the fact that this game is a remake of a DS game, uh-huh. and she was the major addition. Yeah, I actually really like the idea that they went with, where they introduce a parallel story with a different character that has missions that take more advantage of the Wii. Right. I just feel like there weren't enough of them. Yeah. Like, they needed to... I think they should have done more to justify its existence. Yeah. It's my only problem with it. Mechanically, it's totally justified. Yeah, I think those were my favorite levels. Yeah, they're they're fantastic mechanically, but they, there's no reason they couldn't have just added them in as the stories story. for the... Exi- mm-hmm. Like, done by the existing characters. They already changed the way that the game ends. There's, like... What did Naomi's presence in the narrative of this game add in any way? <laughs> Uh, I think it gives you an earlier... Ins- I think it, it performs two super non-vital <laughs> tasks. <laughs> One of giving you an insight into Delphi before it's properly explained in the narrative, which adds a little bit of, like... Uh, just, it's, it's like a little bit of foreshadowing, and it, it allows them to break up that chapter into different parts of the game so that the difficulty can scale as well but still have the interesting mechanical thing because a lot of times if somebody adds something for purely mechanical purposes it's either all front-loaded where it's not interesting to go back and do when you finish the game or it's all back-loaded and it's like the hardest fucking content in whatever game it is mm-hmm. uh this uh gives a good balance of that like if you played through chapter z as its own thing you wouldn't you would just be like oh it's like 
why does this go crazy? Like, it just goes really hard really quickly. Um, and the other thing is, I think, just to add foreshadowing and intrigue, which is a super pulpy, not, like, yeah. narratively enhancing yeah. thing at all. I think that's what they wanted it to be. I just don't think they did it very well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, it's hard to add, like, a good level of intrigue to a story that we already don't think was executed right, yeah. that well. <laughs> right. Like, they, they, it seems like... You know, they went for the conceptual idea of let's have someone on the inside. Let's learn more about these evil people, and the evil people were completely uninteresting. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you got like, the up close and personal look at them, yeah, like they were they were just crazy medical terrorists whose motivations remain forever entirely unclear to us because they cut off the end of the game. <laughs> they just like took a hatchet to the end and cut out some little. They give you a slideshow. Yeah, they yeah. give you a slideshow. So yeah. They cut out the the first five chapters are the mostly the same as the DS game, and the chapter six from the DS game is just cut out of this game. In place of it, you get a little slideshow with text explaining what happened, and then this game has its own chapter six that takes place after the DS game, which is really confusing and weird. Yeah, it's also. Uh, borderline impossible to complete. <laughs> it's, but it, notably, it's not borderline impossible to complete in a way that was different than the DS game. Right. Because we we looked this up during the time of triangles, right. the, the harshest of times for the No Club podcast, uh, and to, to figure out what was going on and like how much more we had left to do, uh, and the kind of missions that you play in the Wii version are the same type of missions mechanically that, that you played in the content that they cut. Right. They're just narratively set up differently, and in this case, in a really boring way. <laughs> like, you're just, you're at a conference, and there's, like, a, a leak of the virus. Well, and there was also, like, a crazy guy who had infiltrated Caduceus. Right, who had he, he had been related to Naomi's story, right. and was clearly evil from the moment that you saw his depressed, sleep-deprived eyes. Right, yeah. Like, he just looked like a villain. Yeah, like a, like a comic, like a Saturday morning cartoon villain. Yeah. To use the, the no-clip trademark. Yes. Referring to things as Saturday morning cartoons. And he screams about the necessity of, like, murdering people and then is arrested and taken off screen and you perform surgery and that's yeah 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 so yeah the mechanically the ds game had you do like hard versions of all the guilts strains and mechanically the wii version has you do hard versions of all the guilt strains <laughs> so yeah they 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 cut a thing, and then they added in the same exact thing. Again, yeah. That yeah. was just worse narratively. It was yeah. it was less interesting than the thing that you showed you, and more confusing, because it's predicated on knowledge from the end of the game that you don't have. Like, we don't know what Adam is. Like, the antagonist of the entire oh, yeah. game. He's on the box, he looks really cool and menacing, and we were, like, waiting for him to show up in the narrative. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, right before we start talking about him and the ending of this game, mm -hmm. uh, it is. It, I feel like it's important to note that the whole time, because I guess all right, a little bit of backstory. I played this game two thousand seven or whatever. I never got past mission five five, or I think is what it was. Whatever the the last treaty mission is. Yeah. Um, and so we got there, and I was like, I gotta be honest with you guys. We've been making fun of this ghost doctor on the box. 
for the whole game, and we don't. I, I have no idea what that is. Like <laughs> this ghost actor is just here. I don't know why. He's like an old man. He's like hovering over the title. Yeah, he's yep. very prominent on the box art. He looks like he's made out of cybernetic parts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then he shows up, and it's just like. He basically is introduced and killed in a in a cutscene. Yes. <laughs> yep. He is the antagonist of the DS game. Right. He actually does things in that story. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in this game, you see him and he's like attached to some tubes or something <laughs> for like five seconds and then he's gone. Yeah. And never mention. Well, they mention him at the very end, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But never acts as an antagonist or discusses with you why the terrorists are doing terrorist things. Yeah. You, you never get an actual explanation about that, despite the fact that they added in like several additional missions to give you supposedly their perspective mm-hmm. on what's going yeah. down. Does he actually have any dialogue? No, because he's no, unconscious he's... the one time he shows yeah, up. He's, he's like, like, yeah, he's, like, he's comatose. <laughs> yeah, he's in a coma from the events of the DS game. He's never even treated as. Uh, like, as a human being in the narrative. <laughs> He's like, he is a human being as much as Soylent Green is a human being in Soylent Green. Like, <laughs> like all he does referenced. is produces a problem. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a punch in the gut, especially to me, who was, who was like, oh man, the Atlasness is coming. Like, the, the yeah. literal specter of yeah. crazy bullshit hung over this game. And then they just literally ignored it. They they, sh- they shrugged. Yeah, Atlas yeah. shrugged. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Classic. Like, no, we don't need that. Classic Chad joke. <laughs> but yeah, God, it was just—it was brutal to just know, like, oh, there could have been a cool thing. There was—they tried to do a cool thing in the DS that was sort of a meh mechanical moment. Right. But instead, we're just gonna have you perform surgery in a hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know when you're performing surgery not in a hospital in this game, it really is just like a hospital. At one point, it's like a hospital that's dark. At another point, it's like a hospital that's shaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's about it. Are you claiming that planes are hospitals that shake? I'm saying that in, in this, this game, game they're yeah. mechanically treated as a hospital that shakes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're never, like, limited in your tools or anything cool like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to have, like, what are our, our final, like, opinions on this? Um, Drama Center final opinion. <laughs> I don't know if our, our disappointment at, at the termination of this game has really brought it through my opinion so far, but, like, the opening of this game had the potential to, like, make my top ten list. Like, the the first, let's, I'm going to say five hours were some of the most fun I've had in a very, very long time. And I was waiting for things to keep escalating both narratively and mechanically. Mm-hmm. And they botched the mechanics and they botched the narrative. And it's just <laughs> so sad to me. Yeah. And I might go and pick up the rest of the series just to see if and how they learn from the just terrible tumble that they took in Second Opinion. Because if they can stick the landing on this, I might just play it forever. Uh, I might become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I played a lot of Trauma Center. Like, I think I'll be all right. I don't need med school. Yeah, I'd be like, where's the nunchuck? <laughs> I need to activate healing touch. Uh, Mary Spring with the nunchuck, stat. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I'm significantly less positive on that, but I do echo a lot of the same things, though. Like, I think this game 
with a actually decent narrative and with like mechanics a little bit more polished and with like a better difficulty curve, this would be a game I would really enjoy. So like I would be interested to check out a sequel. I probably won't have any time to do it in the near future, but like uh, I'll probably check out another Trauma Center game at some point. It's it's a little like it's weird because like every game in the series is on the DS or the Wii. Yeah. So it's like. I don't necessarily know that we have like a chance of there being a new trauma center unless I, they yeah. release it for the 3DS. Yeah, uh, which is weird that they haven't. Under the Knife Two would be the one I would probably pick up. Right. But yeah, now I think a version of this game that was like a modern Atlas title that used like a Catherine esque look, like right. with like 3D models and stuff, or like some kind of an advancement or like an iteration on this could be really great. I, would agree. I don't know exactly what that would be, but... Yeah. Maybe, like, for the Switch, since it's kind of the last opportunity they might get for a while, too. Something that has two motion-controlled objects. Right, it also has a touchscreen. Ah, yeah. So, who knows? A lot of bullshit that could be pulled from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I'm just imagining, because it has that, quote, 3D touch in the Joy-Cons, of you, like, fumbling around inside somebody's body, and just, like, <laughs> it, like you feel, oh, that's definitely the kidney. <laughs> 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 Yeah, so we didn't talk, I guess, like, we, we focused in this podcast a lot, I guess, on the, the flaws of the game. Yeah. And we, yeah, I agree with JJ, the first two-thirds of this game are actually just outstanding. Like, probably one of my, it's definitely, you said it approached your top ten list, it's definitely on my top ten Wii games. Uh, it's probably actually pretty high up, all things considered. Um and my impressions on the Wii not being super high. Um, but yeah, it, what it does is actually fairly simple, but it's executed really perfectly. Um, and I, I think that a, a game that focused more on the actual surgery would probably be more of more up my alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really didn't care about the narrative from the beginning yeah. anyway, so... Yeah. yeah, I ended up feeling kind of similarly to the way I do about, like, all of Atlas's games that I've played, like, they always feel like they should fall short of their potential. Like, they're ideas that, like, I love, and, like, they're implemented pretty well, but they always kind of fall flat in some aspect. Yeah, if it's a... I've never played Persona, so maybe that's an exception. I've definitely heard good things. Uh, yeah, if it's any uh, thing to speak on at all, it at least takes longer to ramp up to the point where I cannot play it than <laughs> Catherine did. <laughs> so that's good. Thank you for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're going to be talking about Hotline Miami, uh, another game that focuses on really brutal mechanics near the end. <laughs> uh, until then, you can get a hold of us. Uh, all of our contact information is on noclippodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, uh, on Twitter at noclippodcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> let's begin the, let's end the operation. <laughs> Why did you end that with a question mark? <laughs> there should never be an operation where you're unsure about whether the operation should terminate. Dude, we didn't talk about us trying to sign our names to the suture. We didn't...
talk about the breasts of the side character. <laughs> There's so many of the persistent memes of our playthrough. It's, well, it's because we got all those memes out while we were actually playing. Yeah. Right? yeah. You gotta really suck the memes out of you mm-hmm. early and strong. It's like snake venom. <laughs> <laughs> It'll infect the rest of you if you don't do anything. You know what about memes we actually didn't talk about? The is word. The fact that it uses the word memes in a genetic sense. Which oh! Is the, the actually linguistically correct way to use it. Yeah. But I'm turning this on because it's fucking hot. It is. Ba, 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 ba.